One sec. Ugh. Go away. Margo is like eating. Oh, God. She just dumped this bag of pita chips on the ground. Margo! <laughs> Hold on. Let me. I can't hear her, but I did hear the pita chips fall. You want to start us off? Oh, I'll do my bestest. Welcome to Fauna Facts, the podcast about fauna and facts, wherein we talk about animals (laughs) and things they do. That's all I got. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess we're going to get right into it then. Let's let's do it. Let's do the thing. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about lizards today. But Ooh. before I start out talking about lizards, well, it's going to be about sleep. So do you know what REM sleep is? Yeah. Okay. I actually had to do some looking up of this because I'm not. My, my understanding of REM sleep is that it's like the deep sleep, right? No, it's actually, like, that's when you dream. Got it. Yeah, and you have rapid eye movement. And then there's the more restful sleep, which is the slow wave sleep. Slow wave? Slow wavelength. Oh. Yeah, so slow slow wave sleep. So slow wave sleep and REM sleep, you, like in humans, that lasts, like, I don't know, 90 minutes and you have different cycles so it switches between one and the other and for a long time scientists thought that only people well only mammals and birds did this but like a couple years ago they found out that lizards do this too and it made me really really excited so yeah they thought that lizards and like reptiles couldn't dream because they didn't have REM sleep they definitely do do you know how many living creatures dream? Well, I mean, part of the problem here, I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but yeah, they were, <laughs> they were, they had a probe in a lizard's brain because they were doing some learning experiments. And then they were looking at the EEG and they're like, hey, this kind of cycles back and forth. And there's wavelengths that are short and low amplitude that are high frequency and then low frequency that are really high amplitude. So just like mammals have slow wave sleep and REM, except in lizards, it's like every 90 seconds instead of every 90 minutes. What? Yeah, that's why they couldn't figure it out. So people, they have like four or five cycles each night between... REM and slow wave sleep, but these bearded dragons they're looking at had 350. Oh my good golly gosh. So that's why it took them so long. But it just makes me really happy thinking I have a pet lizard, so knowing that he's he's dreaming makes me really happy. And then oh, and then they did um they did some infrared recording of their eyes when they're sleeping and they do do 
rapid eye movement too. So it's not just the brain waves. Whoa. Yeah. Wait, that's crazy. I know. It makes me it always makes me really happy when they're like, Well, mammals and birds, they're so sophisticated and these reptiles and then something comes out and they're like reptiles are amazing too it's like yeah they are you just didn't know where to look (laughs) that's incredible wait will you remind me of your reptiles species and name um i have a leopard gecko named lenny lenny yeah so um yeah i'm not sure he probably just dreams about mealworms all day (laughs) hopefully yeah now that he's not living with a cat hopefully he doesn't have nightmares okay so wait walk me backwards a second so rem rapid eye movement i get that and then you said short wave length slow wave sleep sorry slow wavelength yeah slow wave sleep so that's like if you're looking at the eeg it just means during rapid eye movement you're seeing these waves that are low amplitude, so they don't go very high, and they're high frequency, so there's a bunch of them crammed together. And then slow wave sleep has high amplitude on the EEG, so they're high, I guess. And then lower frequency. And that just measures like how active your brain is and how many electrical signals it's sending like as a whole. Well, I have two personal facts for you. One is I've had an EEG done on me before. On on your brain? Yep. I've only done it looking at hearts because I teach human phys physiology as well. Oh. So that's how I know some of this stuff. Is that the same thing? Because, okay, I've had an EEG done on my brain and I've had an EKG done on my heart. Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I've done an EKG. Oh, my gosh. I'm a better zoology teacher than I am a human physiology teacher. (laughs) Um, Oh, my gosh. I hope none of my human physiology students ever listen to this. (sighs) We can cut that out. I won't, but we could. Yeah, I've had all of that. I used to have a lot of health problems when I was younger. Oh, hmm. yeah, but they were doing EEGs on lizards. That's, but, I mean, EEG, and EEG is like they put little sensors all over your skull is what yeah, I Yeah, anyway. except in the lizards, I think they just put a probe in the brain. <laughs> yeah. In the brain. I know. That's why I don't work with vertebrates. I don't want to do that kind of stuff. But it's pretty cool. I'm like, thank you, lizards, for going through that so I can know that about my lizard. Brave lizards who voluntarily agreed to be in this study. Well, I mean, (laughs) no, they didn't. I know. I feel like a lot of our topics are flirt with animal cruelty (laughs) and be like, well, I didn't do it and I don't agree with it it just happened and i'm telling you about it i don't know it's it's interesting because the people doing this stuff i think most of them love the animal like i'm sure the person who's doing us what is the name giles laurent um he's german i should say i should give credit where it's due um from max planck university 
or sorry, oops, Max Planck Institute. I'm sure he loves lizards, but this is something his lab does. I worked with rats for a little bit, and I didn't like it because I thought the rats were too cute. I was doing preclinical trials with fibromyalgia drugs, so we, like, induced fibromyalgia in rats. It's great. Uh... <laughs> yep. Yikes. That's a lot. It's a lot? Yeah, emotionally. I mean, you you detach yourself a little bit from it, but yeah. Yeah, it's hard for me to do that, and that's why I work with insects. It's an interesting world. But, yeah, that's that's all I had for that. If you look online for this study, you can find some cute videos of lizards sleeping. Yeah. Okay, well, should I go? Yeah. Okay, well, mine is also, like, not that long, but I came up with, like, a related additional story in case it felt like it was too short so you let me know okay all right so the beginning of my story does not really sound animal related other than in the names of things it has to do with a british military tactical nuclear weapon project in the 1950s okay so it was originally called brown bunny then blue bunny then blue peacock i promise there's more animal involvement the project's main goal was basically to store a number of like huge nuclear mines in germany Mm -hmm. and in the event of soviet invasion from the east they could be detonated by wire or by like a timer basically like remotely yeah And the goal was not only to destroy the stuff in the area, but because it was a nuclear weapon, to limit the enemy forces in that area for a while because of the contamination. Right. And this project was just to test how effective it was? No. So the project was to actually do it. In July of 1957, the British Army ordered that 10 of these, called Blue Peacocks at this time, for use in Germany under the cover story that they were atomic power units for troops in the field. In the end, the Ministry of Defense canceled the project in 1958, so like maybe eight months later. It was judged that the risks posed by the nuclear fallout that would happen because it's a nuclear weapon... And the political aspects of preparing for the massive destruction and contamination of allied territory was, like, too much to justify. So that's good. (laughs) But (laughs) in the process of figuring out this project, one of the big issues was that they were going to bury this nuclear weapon in the winter. And during the winter in Europe... Buried objects can get really cold, and it was possible that mines' electronics would get too cold to work after, like, a certain number of days underground. Yeah. And so they came up with, like, a lot of hypothetical methods to get around this. One was wrapping the bombs in insulating blankets, but the most interesting was... A proposal that suggested live chickens be involved. They're just going to keep them, like, in a chicken coop or something? So, 
the idea was that the chickens would be sealed inside the casing. What? Yes, yes, yes. Given enough seed to keep them alive and also distract them from pecking at the wiring. (laughs) Wait, they're just going to be open wiring in this chicken? Like with these bored chickens? They're like, just give them... I an- I guess so. Oh. I mean, the idea was that they would be alive for about a week, and then their body heat would be sufficient to keep the mind's components at a working temperature. And then, when they were done with them, they would remotely detonate the landmine. That is disgusting. <laughs> that is so gross. It's pretty insane. It didn't actually happen. So, none of this actually happened. It didn't work out. They, again, like I said, decided that it was just too much work. Yeah. Wasn't feasible enough. Wasn't a good long-term plan. And then the blue peacock file, which again was the name of this weapon, was only declassified in 2004. But hilariously, it was declassified on April 1st, and so obviously this proposal is so ridiculous that people thought it was an April Fool's joke. Yeah. But Tom O'Leary, head of education and interpretation at the National Archives, replied to the media that, quote, It does seem like an April Fool, but it most certainly is not. The civil service does not do jokes. My God. (laughs) <laughs> I just can imagine, like, there's someone walking around and they're like, do you hear something? <laughs> and then they're like, I hear chickens. Do you hear chickens? Like underground? <laughs> yeah. And there's just like, but I can't, I can't even imagine how gross and yeah, how disgusting and gross that would be after a week. I mean, but the I mean, the end goal is that the chickens get blown up with the mines. Right. So it seems yeah. like, but still, I know it's just like the idea that you have. I don't know. Oh, just this. Yeah, I guess you don't really care if the chickens are gross, but the fact that you have feed to distract them from pecking on. Yeah. The necessary wires that they're supposed to be insulating. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. thank you for finding that i don't even know where you're welcome i have a i have a follow-up bird military related thing okay um we're only at like 20 minutes so i feel like it's fine yeah go for it should i go for it Mm -hmm. okay thank you bless you so in world war ii There were plans to use pigeons to guide missiles. I remember taking like a cog sci, cognitive science class in undergrad Mm -hmm. that talked about, remember Skinner? He trained pigeons using operant conditioning. Oh, yeah. Basically. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So basically in operant conditioning, for those who don't know, the initial behavior is spontaneous, but when it is either rewarded or punished, that behavior is like rewarded or well the same i just said that (laughs) basically you reinforce behavior positively or negatively using rewards or punishment the end 
So, in this specific case, Skinner rewarded pigeons for pecking an image on a screen to get them conditioned to do it. Mm -hmm. So then he designed a nose cone for missiles that had three windows for the pigeon to look through. Through the flight control system and a metal piece on the nose of the pigeons to detect a peck, the pecking of the windows would result in the missile changing course, depending on which window was pecked and where the window Sorry, where on the window the pecking happened. So the pigeons were then trained to peck such that the target, whatever object the pigeon was conditioned to go for, stayed centered in front of the missile. Wasn't this like a Batman plot? (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) wait, you said B.F. Skinner. Yeah. B.F. Skinner invented this? Yes. Oh my gosh. It's, it gets better. It gets better. So. <laughs> okay. I don't can't imagine how it's going to get better. So the NDRC, the National Defense Research Committee, was obviously skeptical of this, but contributed a lot of money to it. And then even with the NDRC's report, support, sorry, Skinner's idea was considered eccentric and there weren't a lot of people taking him seriously. However... In simulation, the pigeons were remarkably good at guiding the missile straight to the target once they were trained, and they, like, rarely missed in the simulator. But you just have these, like, I mean, this is an awesome idea if (laughs) it's, like, the one thing you want to blow up, and you're like, yeah, pigeon army, go! But the problem is, can you just imagine, like, raising thousands of pigeons for our military to attack well here's the thing you don't need that many right because wait don't they oh wait oh for some reason i imagine them like okay (laughs) okay that makes more sense they're doing it remotely yes i imagine them like in the missile in a plane (laughs) i thought they were like riding in the missile controlling it stop (laughs) Okay. <laughs> that's too much for me. Okay, that's why I thought it was a Batman plot. No. <laughs> Just take take the pigeon in with you into the plane, sir. That would be excellent. Yeah. Whew. Okay. No, that, like, okay, I think that's pretty reasonable. I mean, I don't know if you want, you declare war, and then you have pigeons. <laughs> in charge of your missiles. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Grace. Pigeons can process visual information roughly three times faster than humans, which really accounts for how good they were at it. And, you know, they're very single-minded. They, like, they have a goal. They have a purpose. They go for it. That's true. Maybe we should bring those back. Let's not have Space Force. Let's have Pigeon Force. I'm very pro-pigeon, but I'm not pro-military, so it's tough. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Don't draft pigeons into the army. (laughs) So, okay. So this was 1937 when he started this. By 1944, Project Pigeon was canceled because basically no one would take it seriously. Skinner himself said that it wasn't the problem was not that the system didn't work when tested in the simulator, it was that no one would take us seriously. Yeah, I believe that. It got brought back four years later 
but it was canceled again five years after that because of advancements in electronic guidance systems. So basically it would just like kind of became irrelevant over time. But there was like a there was like a sweet spot of like ten years where they really could have used it, but they just thought it was too silly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. No, not great. <laughs> I mean, it's better than putting chickens Oh, underground to blow up with a mine? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like they don't the pigeons don't die, but it's No. Still I mean, people, are, this is like... It's not a great situation. Any way you swing it, it's not... No. No, it's not. Not too good. But, uh, yeah, that's that's my story of bird... Military birds. Okay. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, you want to sign off? Oh, yeah. You sign off. You do it. You do the thing. Okay, this has been... Bonapax with Grace and Mads, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Woo!